This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. We're always trying to make good beer better, um, that continuous improvement plan. So it's it's taking the, the documentation that you've done, it's taking all those samples you've collected and basically putting it all together to kind of inform and create a, a recipe sheet for fermentation. If we started ramping up volumes and brewing at other locations, we found that um, standardizing that practice was absolutely crucial for reaching consistent quality beer. This week on the show, why you need a fermentation recipe sheet just as much as you need a recipe in the brew house. Hi, I'm Tim Faith. I'm the Global Crossbrewing Manager for Goose Island, Chicago. Why does a brewer need a quality control plan for fermentation? Uh, so I, I don't know, over, over the last, uh, 10 or so years I've been in the, the brewing industry, I've noticed that a lot more attention is paid towards the brew house recipe. Um, and I think that fermentation is often seen as kind of a set and forget the yeast is going to do the majority of the work. And all you have to do is add, add the yeast to a nutrient dense, uh, wort base and, and everything's taken care of. Um. However, with a quality control program, we're implementing a variety of kind of methods and processes and parameters to track to then inform decisions down the road, say if something goes awry or um, you honestly just want to recreate and create that consistency. I took over brewery operations at a place, uh, this has been quite a, quite a number of years ago, and um, the, the guys who worked in the brew house were all up on a pedestal and, you know, thought they were the kings of the brewery. And I came in there and, you know, I started promoting, well, I started hiring people, you know, in the, in, in the cellar and in fermentation that 
know, had better resumes and more education and paying them more and mm-hmm. like giving them more responsibilities. And the guys in the brew house were just kind of like, what the hell's going on around here? You know, like, yeah, I was I like, know. I was like, I, yeah, you guys, you guys aren't that important. I mean, <laughs> what you do matters, but like this other stuff matters a lot more. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've seen it pretty much at every brewery I've been at. It's, it's often like you, you start on the packaging line and then you go to the cellar and then the brew house, but often like, I mean, it, you can see it completely opposite. Like probably some of your most valued players are actually on the packaging line because they're the last ones to touch the product. So. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Talk about why it's important to establish a product specification early in recipe development. And what exactly do you do with that specification? Yeah. So I, I think it's important to add that specification just because like you you have an overall vision for what your beer is going to taste like and obviously within your brewing experience um you kind of want to align with that so apart when when we say specification it's not just your your phys chem specs your your ae your rdf your ph um it's also the the profile of what that beer is going to taste like um and if you can if you can set those things early it's going to kind of create a lot more of an easy scenario down the road once you're in the midst of producing um, your your beer specifically, because um, then you kind of have like a uh, you're corralling yourself to like kind of bounce around a very narrow window um, to hopefully meet what you intended to do, whether it is to achieve a, a high tropical amplitude from from hops, or you're, you're, you you want to hit a certain ester profile based on whatever inputs you put into to fermentation. Give us an example of what uh, th- what that specification might look like, and also um, how you use it. Yeah, so w- one thing I've I've noticed um, not a lot of brewers doing is actually including including like what the beer should taste like through the entire process. Um, I, I would like to see like having having that that description or brand profile on your brew sheet, on your cellar form, on the packaging log, so that the brewers that are actually handling the beer through its process can actually taste it, because that's just another opportunity for a quality check um, through through the beer's existence um, through the brewery. There are lots of variables we could measure during fermentation. Let's hear about some of the parameters that get measured at Goose and why. Yeah, um, one thing I think that a lot of brewers tend to overlook is is pH. Um, pH can tell us a lot about fermentation. Um, I, I've met a lot of brewers that don't even track pH, whether even in the brew house. Um, but I think that it can tell us a lot about like yeast growth, yeast vitality. It could show us, um, honestly, like how much dry hopping you're, you're, you're actually doing and what, what kind of is, is increasing in the, in the beer. It'll also tell you, um, when yeast is kind of ready to be pulled off the beer. Um, goose specifically, obviously we're tracking, um, everything from AE, RDF, pH cells and suspension. Um, but the big one, um, that, we're always concerned with is diacetyl. Um, so that's that's going to be the tell, telltale sign of when a beer is complete to a predetermined specification um, for, for certain styles of beer. Okay. Yeah, and everything you just said about pH is very timely. Um, you won't have heard it yet because they're still in the queue, but we've got several episodes um, that uh, listeners will have already heard uh, that, are, that are pretty relevant to what you just said about pH. I uh, can't so, wait. Um, so... <laughs> Okay, um, 
Talk about time, though, because time is one of the, I mean, it seems like kind of obvious. Everyone kind of can track time, right? But there's a, there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, kind of talk about uh, how you standardize uh, time and what you're looking for in regards to time measurements. Yeah, I, I think a key word there is standardization. Um, we previously, we would, we, we would track time by days, and I think most brewers do that. Um, but as you develop a, a fermentation, it's 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> but a, as you develop a fermentation quality control program, you're going to start looking at more of like the, the intricacies and the specifics to fermentation. And that will require you to start looking at hours. Um, the, the, obviously the 24 hour breakdown, but a lot can happen in 24 hours. And if you aren't actually paying attention to, um, when things are happening, um, you're you're going to miss it. And specifically, I'm I'm talking to like your your peak cell count, or um, when to if you have a certain input to that beer tied around time. Um, perhaps that's a, a dry hop, or you're dump, dumping yeast off the cone. Um, I think tracking in hours is is very very important, and that that was kind of pioneered by our our previous brewmaster Jared uh, Jankowski, who's now at Octopi. Um, he was he was a champion of of going to the hours, and um, I think also like standardizing the when you start fermentation. Um, and I think industry wide, we're we're kind of calling that when fermenter the fermenter is full. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember the first time I heard the term yeast air contact time. It was at a district mid Atlantic meeting, circa 2006, at the Anheuser Busch Brewery in Williamsburg. And master brewers meetings looked quite a bit different back then. There may or may not have been putting contests with large cash prizes. <laughs> anyway, yeast air contact time was something I'd never considered before. But from listening to the brewmasters talk casually during dinner, I learned that they considered this to be one of the most critical variables in their process and that small variations in yeast air contact time caused large variations in their final beer. Tell us more about this variable, how you use it, as well as maybe some other time-related variables that craft brewers might not be tracking and manipulating. Yeah, so I mean, you, you have your aeration rate, you have your cool-in time, and, and pretty much yeast air contact time is those two together once yeast is actually in the beer. So obviously, like yeast needs oxygen for for replication and that, that kind of growth phase. Um, we're, we're using yeast air contact time basically um, at a specific aeration rate for a duration of time. So we're looking at typically a between two and three hours. If you're having multiple tanks cooling in, um, usually you can either aerate each one of those turns or at the very end when you pitch your yeast. Um, but each yeast is going to have a very specific prerequisite and requirement for yeast air contact time. Again, it's it's very straightforward. Um, but again, depending on how much you're actually aerating and and that kind of initial contact, that'll dictate a lot of like how much growth you might see or biomass generation. And the more yeast grows, again, I think a lot of that yeast air contact time directly correlates to ester development. Um, that yeast is basically replicating. And as it replicates, it has a, a variety of metabolic leakages, which yield um, also a variety of, of esters that you may or may not want. All right. Uh, talking about growth, that's a good segue. Uh, talk about cell count curves and what they do for you. Yeah. So cell count curves, again, um, it doesn't require a whole lot of 
super expensive instrumentation or anything. You, you just kind of need that, that little slide, that hemocytometer, um, along with a microscope. But knowing exactly what your target pitch rate is and, again, kind of going along with that yeast air contact time, um, what your target growth should be like, you can really start to optimize your fermentations. Um, obviously, like industry standard might be uh, 0.8 million cells per milliliter degrees Plato um, to one or so. Um, but you, you, you'll realize, and we see this a lot, that a lot of brewers do generally overpitch their beers. And I, I think you can really create a very clean fermentation and, and overall product if, if you do start to actually track that and kind of hone in and optimize it to meet a certain profile. So obviously that, that comes with just doing it, start tracking and start documenting, start plotting, and then you can start mapping that curve. And basically the, all of this kind of comes back to um, an, an overall sensory feedback loop. So you can start to notice deviations in the overall sensory profile and you can kind of revert back and use the tools that, uh, and, and resources that, translate through um, that, that fermentation and cell count and kind of fix it up, um, basically. I can't tell you how many times I've made the mistake of not recording sensory data than wishing I had that information later on during troubleshooting. So for example, a tank picks up a phenolic flavor during maturation that you're pretty sure wasn't there at terminal, but can't be 100% sure because while you might have tasted it, that maybe was couple of weeks ago and you've got a million other things going on and can't be sure. So how do you integrate sensory into your measurements and logs? Uh, I, I think number one is um, having consistent trained tasters that are very familiar with the beer. Um, and, and training can come through in a variety of ways. Uh, but I think having a final sensory point to then basically have your, your team standardized to a specific profile, again, like um, noting the amplitudes um, and the specifics for for that kind of profile, and then kind of feeding it back to um, the the deviations, um, and that's where like having recording your physchem, your your AE, your pH, your cell counts through fermentation. The more you can document, the more you can kind of revert back to to then inform decisions for future trials. Okay. Tank type is something that gets discussed theoretically on occasion, but I don't think there are a lot of brewers tracking different outcomes by vessel geometry or similar considerations. It sounds like that's important to your process. Yeah, and we, we did some trials early on in our, our pilot brewery, um, and it was very fascinating, great oppor- learning opportunity, but it was, it was basically we, we have a two and a half barrel um, pilot brewery, and we had five barrel tanks and three barrel tanks. And gradually, the more frequent we were brewing the same beer over and over, specifically hop trials, um, we started to notice utilization rates changing. Um, so we, we then had to input uh, a new calculation for what tanks we were cooling into. Because obviously, with, with um, a vigorous fermentation, you, you see either a blow off on a smaller tank come out of the tank and everything. Or if it's a larger tank with a lot of headspace, you might see that, that brand have actually collapse back into the beer, increasing our fermentation utilization for uh, BUs. 
Um, so that was kind of the premise around there. And obviously tank geometry, when you get to a, a lot larger of a scale, you, you're dealing with a lot more of, um, of stresses to the yeast, um, depending on how the cone is designed at like a 45 degree angle or sharper, um, you might get more yeast contact with the beer. Um, so kind of just if you are a brewery that has gone through um, successive growth phases that have a variety of tanks on hand, it, it is kind of good to just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Um, something to obviously record on your fermentation form and everything um, and something you could go back to, say, for in its sensory, uh, you notice that this beer tastes a little bit more harsh than one brewed in another tank. You obviously now have the documentation to kind of uh, fuel further research. Coming up. As we brew internationally with a variety of teams in Argentina, Korea, China, Belgium, uh, Brazil, uh, having a visualized kind of fermentation chart like this helps us just over communicate the importance of these inputs that need to happen in fermentation. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. July 20th, join John Harris, Kevin Davey, and Andy Morrison for a webinar called Cold IPA Defined, a deep dive with the creators. I'm happy to report that District Texas is back their infamous annual summer meeting, which takes place at End of the Hills in Kerrville, will be August 6th through the 8th. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. I'm so glad to see the great District Northwest meeting once again at Hood River, October 15th and 16th. 
There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. back to the show. There are obviously other variables that could be measured, and the goal here today isn't to exhaustively cover all of them, but to talk about how powerful it can be to standardize a brewery's process and documentation routine. Maybe give us a before and after. Can you describe the outcomes you've observed when process and documentation um, have and haven't been standardized? So, yeah, standardizing the process is honestly everything. Um, if you're not doing the same thing over and over, and obviously if it has to be best practice, um, and again, there's a variety, a variety of resources out there that can explain that. But a good example is, um, I think in the earlier days in, in my time at Goose, we were playing around with a variety of ways of pitching our, our tanks. Um, and we weren't planning, playing around. We were actually like, this is, this this kind of scenario worked out best for this tank because it was nearest to the brink, and this one worked best because it was at this point and whatnot. So we were we were pitching the tanks prior to uh, filling with wort. Some tanks were pitched in line. Some tanks actually were cone to cone. Others were sent to a brink. And I think we gradually, as it was, as we started ramping up volumes and brewing at other locations, we found that. Um, standardizing that practice was absolutely crucial for reaching consistent quality beer. Um, in the end, we, a lot of the, we, we kind of avoided some of that cone to cone pitching, um, because of obviously homogenization reasons and, um, kind of consistency there, but, um, basically drawing off to a brink, um, keeping the yeast cool um, based on the yeast needs and everything. Obviously, every yeast is going to require different inputs and, and, and ways to handle it. But um, And then getting a homogenized sample, we would, we would count it several times via abermeter, uh, hemocytometer, um, and, and load cells on the brink. And then we would then pitch the tanks accordingly in line. Um, Inline pitching uh, I believe is is probably one of the best methods because obviously you get um, homogenization as the yeast is entering the tank. Um, you also don't shock it necessarily, um, but with a, a massive amount of cold wort, and there's a little bit more control in in kind of uh, optimizing pitch rates. Uh, so that's just one example of kind of making sure you're doing the same thing every time. Because if if we're if we're pitching the tanks prior to the filling with wort, and then we're pitching in line with other other uh, uh, other other methods, um, you're going to end up with pretty different beers. Before we can measure most things, we need to grab a sample. 
you wrote about things like training staff and SOPs to reduce human error, the frequency of sampling, accounting for sample line length and for mineral wall thickness. Talk about some of that stuff. Yeah. So again, with, um, with my position brewing, helping brewers brew the same beer to match Chicago, um, sampling frequency is an absolute must, especially in the early days of trialing. Um, the more samples you can grab, the more kind of data you can kind of generate. Um, but when it comes to the sample itself, again, a lot of considerations around who's taking the sample. Is it the same person? Is it a different person? Are they trained the same exact way? Um, how much how much of a sample are you actually pulling off the, the tank before you actually run it? Um, that could be that could have massive implications for cell counts, for example. If 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 it's a long line and there's a lot of yeast settling in the line and you don't actually pull that off to get a fully representative sample, that's also going to uh, affect your, your outcome uh, tremendously. Figure five in your TQ paper is really cool. And I think it's something that anybody listening to this would enjoy taking a look at. It's a fermentation curve with lots of process detail for a hazy IPA. And it's just one of several examples you give of data visu- visualizations Talk about what visualizing the data does for you and maybe mention some of the other examples in the paper and how brewers who aren't already doing this can get started. Yeah, so th- this kind of evolved out of, of brewing in Belgium. Um, we didn't, ha- again, like you're, you're putting wort into a tank and pitching yeast and you don't really know, always know what's, like, what's exactly going on. Um, I think putting this to like a chart, uh, specifically around two main parameters, obviously three, technically, you're going to have your time, likely a temperature if depending on the beer, and then a great one is AE. Um, and then kind of figuring out what your what that beer needs to really help optimize and reach your, your overall profile. Um, and I'll, basically, you can tie a lot of uh, variables to those kind of three things if, if you're tr- diligently tracking. Um, but f- in this example, basically, we're, we're tying a lot to AE. Um, so based on, on what's happening in fermentation, that'll dictate when we're actually dry hopping, um, when we're actually temping up. So having a temp up, this is kind of like, this was, uh, this came about by AB, I think in the early 90s, it's called like the overdrive method. And it was, it was examined as a way to really expedite the reduction of diacetyl. Um, You're just talking about a free rise, right? Yep, a free rise, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and it's it basically helped uh, diacetyl reduction and reduce tank time by about 20%. Uh, reactions happen at a warmer temperature. And likewise, you're, you, you could potentially actually pick up more uh, hop character depending on what temperature you're actually dry hopping at. And this will obviously dicta- be dictated by the yeast type, um, how much... How much, how, how much the tendency it has to flocculate and everything. But putting this into a graph allows your brewers to really see what's going on. And if you have an SO, SOP already kind of designed to that, that fermentation curve, you can actually put plots in to kind of show exactly when something needs to, ha- needs to actually happen. Cool. Maybe mention some of like, I guess, more like what's in figure two, where you establish a trend with lots of different plots from different fermentations or something like that? Yeah. Um, so again, th- these are two different curves. One is kind of the the SOP, and then the other is kind of more of the result. And the result is actually going to 
continually reinform the the uh, fermentation curve that you've already preset for that fermentation. So you can take a lot more learnings from um, your daily data points over time and gradually shift it to actually reach a continuous improvement plan for each beer that you have in fermentation. Talk about fermentation checklists. Yeah, so fermentation checklist, it's kind of another um, way of saying an SOP for fermentation, but it's also tied directly into kind of a fermentation brew sheet. Um, It outlines what needs to happen based on what prerequisites uh, occur for for a certain action to happen. I had previously called this a a fermentation matrix, but um, basically it's, it's kind of like, all right, this is everything that needs to happen from the time the wort is cooled into the tank to the time that we are crashing and uh, separating out and getting this beer ready for package. Um, so it's kind of a, a linear way for brewers to see exactly ha- what happened, what needs to happen for that that beer to move through and reach uh, a target profile. Um, so that that could be anything to um, putting on your your blow off buckets to dumping dumping hops at a certain time based on what temperature there there is, how much yeast needs to be harvested at an, at what time to allow enough yeast to be uh, kind of uh, set back to allow for enough diacetyl reduction. I liked what you wrote about regarding accountability. Maybe talk about that a little. Yeah. um, So including accountability, it, it obviously empowers brewers to have, <laughs> it comes as basic as that might sound, like have their name on, on every brew sheet, but it also creates that, that accountability and pride behind the beer. Like you, you, what you did to this beer is a direct impact on, on the flavor profile. Um, putting your name on there obviously also creates traceability. So if something were to go wrong, you can, you can go back to the brewer that was responsible for doing the yeast harvest and be like, Hey, what happened here? Did we do we need to reevaluate how, um, how how things were conducted? Do we need to look at like, all right, was there an issue with the yeast itself? Did we pull too much too fast? Um, again, having that traceability is just another kind of background thing that can help inform um, that that overall sensory profile if something goes wrong. Totally agree. I used to do that a lot with tank cleaning because you know it's like it have a, a second party do an inspection of the tank um and you know if it's or or even if i was just auditing a tank cleaning you know if you find a tank and you got some some spots that need attention uh in the tanks already you know on the board it says it's cleaned and sanitized uh if it doesn't say who did it you don't know who to talk talk to about what you know making it right exactly exactly and that that's a good point like this this whole kind of paper doesn't just have to apply to fermentation it, it could be everything in in the brew house all ultimately it's just explaining that like there there are a lot of things we have the capability of, of tracking that can inform our decisions completely down the road yeah I'm also going to give a related shameless plug, if you don't mind. Um, For several years now, I've been developing and using what I think is a pretty cool system for creating, following, and tracking process checklists in the brewery. I'm doing it all with with easy-to-use free software, and I've integrated it with Google Calendar, so it's also essentially populating my production schedule and creating time-stamped QA, QC, food safety records. For me personally, it's been the most enjoyable and effective way to tackle SOPs, accomplish many of the goals you write about in this paper, and run my brewery. And if anyone listening 
would like to learn more about it, great news. I'll be presenting my approach during the upcoming Craft Brewers Conference in Denver, and I'll be giving all attendees access to a free copy with all of my templates that they can use in their own breweries. So if you're interested in that, check the show notes for a link to the seminar details. That's going to be at um, on September 11th at 1245 Mountain Time. And after my presentation, uh, Riley Seitz and Gary Nicholas, who've both been on the show before, will be talking about um, taking SOPs to the next level. So whether you're a small brewery procrastinating or struggling with SOPs, and boy, have I been there, or a growing brewery that needs some iterative improvement in the area, uh, that'll be an hour-long seminar that you won't want to miss in Denver. That's awesome. Yeah, another thing along along with that, like, one thing we've started doing recently was throwing QR codes everywhere. Wow. If if you need to have an SOP on hand at any time, like you, you're at a tank and hey, this is an SOP. This is the SOP tied to this QR code for cleaning the tank, sanding the tank, pulling yeast, and they're they're everywhere. Um, I love and, that. Is it just like decals you put on stuff, or how do you yeah, do that? Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty much just decals um, on every piece of equipment. Like throughout our pilot brewery, we'll we'll have them on our our mill. We'll have them on our mash, and it pretty much just ties directly to what processes pertain around that piece of equipment. Brilliant. Talk about how all of this, I guess, facilitates brewery trials for continuous improvement. Yeah. So this this kind of section is a more or less a direct reflection of what we're always trying to do is is we're always trying to make good beer better um that continuous improvement plan so it's it's taking the the documentation that you've done it's taken all those samples you've collected and basically putting it all together to kind of inform and create a a recipe sheet for fermentation um, kind of like the introduction, I, I'm explaining like how much effort goes into a, a brew a brew sheet uh, for for the the brew house, like the material inputs and everything. This is kind of taking on that that SOP, the documentation, the traceability, um, and then the overall tracking and putting it all in kind of one document that can be the ultimate reference for everything that happened for for fermentation from the generation of yeast you put into that tank to basically as soon as that tank was emptied. And then I guess one of the points you made in the paper is that having all of this in place really sort of facilitates and spurs innovation and R&D in the brewery. Yes, yeah. So this part two trial phase, um, obviously it's it's pertains to a continuous improvement plan, but basically utilizing um, your your sensory program and then everything you've collected to kind of formulate hypotheses around, um, I don't know, if, if you want to start exploring um, different dry hop times based on either AE or pH or cells in suspension, um, this is kind of the opportune time to start doing that because now you have all the information at your at your fingertips, whether you're storing your information on paper or in Excel, if you're using, I don't know, like the precision, precision fermentation brew monitor, everything's available for you to start really exploring making taking your beer from good to even better. Tell us about what you refer to as the fermentation recipe sheet. The goal is to sort of accomplish all the things we've talked about into a one pager. And I'm not the only one around here giving out free templates. Your paper has links to your own template, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is kind of an evolution of just everything I've seen so far in my, my kind of brewing experience. And 
I, I, I've seen everything from just, I don't know, a, a paper tracker to um, somebody just writing in, hey, this tank was cooled in and this tank was emptied at, at a given time, all the way through to basically creating upper and lower limits to expected fermentations, outlining that kind of checklist, um, including initials, tracking the the kind of physchem um, analytics that you that you have uh, available to actually track to um, having that kind of that that checklist SOP um, in one form. And then obviously, like we mentioned in the beginning, having the uh, the profile of what the beer should taste like, um, basically in, in its final raw form. Okay. Um, so for anyone listening who wants to copy of that, just hit the uh, TQ article and there's links in there. You can, you can get it from there. So Yeah, uh, and it's, it's designed to basically use that or inspire a new one. Again, play yeah. with it, have fun with it. I enjoyed making it. I've, I've, I did. I knew nothing about Excel when I started at Goose, and now that's it's. Yeah. I, it's going to take pride in, I guess. I spent a lot of hours, you know, fumbling around with. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, sh- I should show you some of the iterations I went through. You'd probably, we probably did some of the same stuff. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, but I guess by the way, Tim, going back to the example fermentation curve in Figure Five. What did you use to generate that? Is that something that you you built in Excel as well, or is that from yep. something else? Yep, that's that's in Excel. Um, really easy. I, obviously, I, I, one thing that's come up often is is like the curve doesn't actually have a direct representation of what actually happens in fermentation, but it gives you the idea of like things that need to actually happen at, at what given time. So as we brew internationally with a variety of teams in Argentina, Korea, China, Belgium, uh, Brazil. Uh, having a visualized kind of fermentation chart like this helps us just over communicate the importance of what needs these inputs that need to happen in fermentation. Yeah, it's almost like uh, taking aspects of like a Gantt chart or something and putting it into to the curve. I like exactly. that a lot. So, um, uh, by the way, can we get a template for that too? Uh, yeah, yeah, we can. We can generate one. All right, well, send that along to me, and I'll throw that in the in, in the link uh, show notes uh, as well because I think that would be cool. Um, all right. Uh, your paper also mentions reaction plans. Can you give us some real life examples of reaction plans? Bonus points if you've got a before and after lesson learned type of example for us. If you have a variety of processes around, say, a specific yeast, um, one thing that Goose did a really good job at was designing yeast rules. So basically, it was kind of an SOP around specific varieties of yeast. Basically, the requirements for propagation, their handling, their their cleaning routines. So say we were we were doing a, a Brett beer, like we would require an hour CIP at 175 degrees versus our standard, which might be like 30 minutes at I don't know one 160 or something. Um, so it kind of just articulates and outlines a very set kind of parameters based on that that process. Um, and if something were to go awry, um, the it's kind of an easy reference. And that kind of can turn back to like having having QR codes for like around around the brewery for like, all right, if this happens, you can easily reference it. And it, it also creates it like an empowering aspect amongst the brewers to, to like react on their own accord versus like having to always go up and ask management for like what to do and whatnot. It's like a choose your own adventure book for, for brewing. <laughs> basically, basically like if this happens, then you can do this. Um, yeah. 
there have definitely been a lot of times in my career where I have found myself like, you know, knee-jerk reaction to something that went wrong. And then like a few days later, I'm like, man, I should have just done this instead, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And, no, I, get it. and what, I mean, that's that's what an SOP is. It's it's pretty much a culmination of best practice as a result of probably some failure or challenge yeah. that had previously happened. I had to learn it the hard way. Yeah, and that's, that's why having an SOP and that standard procedure can help prevent most of that stuff because it's likely been experienced before and that's why it's in that, that, that form. That's right. And that's why, and that's one of the things I'm going to talk about in the CBC presentation is how I think SOPs, you know, should always be living documents. They should yep. always be, you know, evolving as, as your process. Update them monthly, so, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You wouldn't believe the amount of time we spend updating SOPs, but it's, there's, there's rhyme or reason for that. That was Tim Faith here on the Master Brewers podcast. Check the show notes for a link to Tim's paper and templates, as well as a link to the SOP presentation I'll be giving with Riley and Gary during the CBC. If you don't think it's possible for SOPs to be fun, easy, and optimize your process, let me show you how. That'll be September 11th in Denver. I hope to see you there. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Let's talk about-